0: Hey, everybody. Just Artie here with a quick note at the top of the show. This episode that you're about to hear was originally posted as a patron exclusive. Um, We're unlocking it today for, I think, obvious reasons related to last week's oral arguments at the Supreme Court about the Mississippi case that is targeting Roe v. Wade. So this episode is obviously about Texas's SB8 law, which is a different law, but has a lot of overlaps with what happened in the last week. We've had tons of calls to unlock this one, so we're really happy to be able to do so. Um, if you like this one, if you enjoy the show, please make sure to support us at patreon.com deathpanelpod. You'll get episodes like this right when they air. One other thing to look forward to is this coming week's patron episode. So if you're listening to this over the weekend when it's posted, the patron episode that will be posted next at the beginning of next week week of December 6th. We are going to be doing a pretty similar thing also with Abby. So Abby Cardis is going to be back um, and we're going to be talking about the oral arguments that happened in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, the, the case from last week that was about Roe v. Wade specifically. Also, just as a quick note, there is one thing that is uh, bleeped or redacted in here. We did that really just to uh preserve the sanity of our mentions it's not anything that's super important but you'll notice that towards the end of the episode if you want to find out what that was and get angry at us online or just see what all the hot gossip is about again patreon.com slash death panel pod and that's all for me enjoy the episode and we'll see you in the patron feed early this week
1: the final point is to just step back for a moment and and think about the startling implications of Texas's argument here. Across the arguments this morning, Texas's position is that no one can sue, not the women whose rights are most directly affected, not the providers who have been chilled in being able to provide those women with care, and not the United States in this suit. They say that federal courts just have no authority under existing law to provide any mechanism to redress that harm. And if that is true, if a state can just take this simple mechanism of taking its enforcement authority and giving it to the general public, backed up with a bounty of $10,000 or $1 million, if they can do that, then no constitutional right is safe. No constitutional decision from this court is safe.
2: Welcome to the Death Panel. Patrons, thank you so much as always for supporting the show and our work. We couldn't do any of this without you. Don't forget to use code for a discount in the merch store. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, you can always share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, or follow us at Panel underscore. Today we've got friend of the show, Abby Cardis, to talk about the draconian anti-abortion law in Texas that went into effect as of September 1st called SB8. So this is a law which bans abortions after six weeks from the first day of the person's last period. And um, it's enforced by private actors who are encouraged to spy on their neighbors and sue people for any intent or possibility that they might aid or abet an abortion after this super early cutoff (laughs) for a bounty of $10,000 minimum for each successful case, plus your lawyer's fee is covered by the defendants as well. So after listening to the oral arguments this week, when the controversial ban uh, was up in front of the Supreme Court again, um, I decided that I really wanted us to talk about this, even though we had already covered it on the show, because I think this is both terrifying in its implications for care. And also it's going to be this crucial turning point in the sort of conservative weaponization of the court. And it raises really interesting questions about the point of government and the passage of arbitrary and capricious draconian laws. So I wanted us to sort of revisit this law and talk about what's going on on the ground now that it's been implemented for two months in Texas and what these sort of bigger questions are that are actually being discussed um, at the Supreme Court level about whether or not it's allowed to move forward or not.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, OK, first of all, like abortion is just like healthcare, And I think it's <laughs> crazy that this like procedure, right, or like this collection of procedures that form part of the complement of like normal reproductive health care are regulated, <laughs> legislated, like Period. argued over in this way. But Just to give some background, I'm sure like listeners are familiar with uh, Roe v. Wade. That was a Supreme Court decision that was decided, I think, in 1973, in keeping with just like sort of the addled fucking nonsense, like coming out of the Supreme Court since forever. Right. Like the like Roe v. Wade protect constitutionally protects like a person's right to get an abortion up to the point of what they call viability, like which is the viability (laughs) of the fetus to survive outside of like the uterine environment, the womb. That's about like 24 weeks. I think it's based on this. Like, I don't I don't even understand this. It's based on some kind of like right to privacy. It's like a penumbra of other rights that are named in the Constitution. Like, again, just like adult (laughs) bullshit. It's absurd. So that's, that's Roe versus Wade. But then another applicable Supreme Court decision that I think fewer people know about is Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I think that was like yeah. 1992. Yeah. yeah. And what Planned Parenthood versus Casey said essentially, what that decision said was that, um, you know, yes, it's unconstitutional to ban abortion prior to viability, right? 20, 22, 24 weeks of gestation, whatever. But states can choose to regulate abortion right. pre-viability, right? Abortion access pre-viability, as long as such regulation doesn't place a quote unquote undue burden on the person seeking <laughs> Which, the abortion. And yeah. my favorite really, legal framework of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, like the, the landscape that we've been living in, I feel like for the past, truly, as long as I can remember is the landscape created by Casey, right? Like with states Experimenting with different ways to ban abortion,
0: right,
3: right, and without trying to banning get abortion, to, right. right,
1: without banning abortion. So, like Casey is how you get things like the trap laws, right, like the targeted regulation of abortion providers. Um, it's how you get all of these gestational age. Just gestational age regulations on abortion, which are absurd. I mean, we can get into why they're scientifically fucking meaningless right, uh, yeah. later on. But all of this stuff is like the the world of Casey. And I think there are lots of uh, important kind of like legal issues at play with SB8. But I think what is different about it is that SB8 is not directly challenging Roe versus Wade. In contrast, like this law that's coming up through Mississippi, I think arguments for that are going to be heard right.
3: The Dobbs case, yeah.
1: December, like that is an explicit challenge to Roe versus Wade. And so, I mean, we can get into the details of, you know, this SB eight, this Texas law, but following the news coverage about the oral arguments, a lot of news that I was reading was like, oh, these justices, like they don't even the conservative ones, like they don't <laughs> seem to like this SB eight. And my fear is like, okay, well, yeah, like SB eight, like The Texas—I don't know what I should call it. Like the Texas (laughs) law kind of threatens like federal power in a way that the justices don't like. And like you heard, like Brett Kavanaugh was like, "Uh oh!" Like, what if someone did this about guns? What would we do then? (laughs) Um, And my concern is that the Supreme Court is appearing maybe more reasonable than they are on this SB8. Like, I think that they might not like allow it to go forward for these like esoteric legal reasons but right. then this Mississippi case is going to come up and they're going to be like oh yeah well abortion's illegal now so congrats
0: Well but I think like this is exactly the reason to to talk about this right now because I think you know as as you know be mentioned we talked about SB8 on the show um shortly after not after it was passed but shortly after like the Supreme Court in the first place did its little maneuver of saying like well you know we won't uh, we're, you know we're not going to touch this etc we're just going to like let this go into <laughs> Which they
2: release at, like at midnight right. in the middle of the night
0: uh, we're just going to like let this go into effect um, etc but I think having then seen uh, as you're mentioning Abby these uh, oral arguments um, happen last week and the sort of uh, approach that they're taking to everything and also I think having seen this play out over the last couple of months it's really troubling where you know, you mentioned Roe v. Wade. And I don't know if you think about kind of like one of the main Democratic Party things, right, is like, oh, we got to you know protect Roe v. Wade, right? Like it's something that you've heard as a drumbeat over years and years. And it's just it's almost farcical because if you think about it, I mean, in, in the first case, one, something like SB8 going into effect, as will, as will, you know, I think explain at greater length in terms of how the law actually works, something like SB8. Going into effect essentially shows that you know there is no constitutionally protected right to an abortion in the United States, um, so essentially roe v Wade is like you know functionally not enforced or not in, not relevant or whatever it is has functionally been overturned, so like mm-hmm. Um, but then you don't see people like necessarily setting their fucking hair on fire over that you see people saying like oh um well as democrats we're going to run on this in 2022 we're going to like run on this in the fucking <laughs> term this fucking what right. and a and, couple and, years and uh, just one more one more point on this and it's just like but the the problem then too is is beyond that as i think that we can talk about and i'm sure that you have a lot of thoughts about abby like in the first place, even before SB8, I think it was almost laughable to say, for all the reasons that you're you're mentioning, but also more like that it, there was a constitutionally protected right to an abortion right, in the exactly. United States for, again, a number of reasons. But among them, like, OK, for example, even independent of SB8. You know abortion is per the hyde amendment uh not covered by medicaid except for in cases of like uh, life endangerment rape and incest and then even then some states don't abide by that uh and get like legal challenges uh about it in texas itself um texas is one of 11 states where um insurance companies are not allowed to cover abortion Like you cannot have your health insurance cannot legally fucking cover abortion in Texas. And that's even for people who have health insurance. Right. Yo, so Texas, it's like
1: Texas tried to pass a law that would have like made people who got abortions eligible for the death penalty. Just want to right. throw that out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. No, but so this is what I'm saying. It's like this. I think what's really the you know, again, the part of the reason I talk about it is seeing these like the arguments that are going in kind of the sphere of like it's interesting to contrast kind of the sphere of what the conversation is about SB8 and like whether it's you know for all these like whether whether this technicality which has these huge ramifications if they just like allow this to pass but whether it's like little technicality this fucking loophole or whatever that they tried to exploit in constructing SB8 which we can explain like that the the conversation is just sort of about that uh like whether that loophole is fine to exploit and not like you know you don't you don't see we, we have right now, like, the Democratic Party in the White House <laughs> controlling the House and controlling the Senate, and they're not, like, do it. They're, you know, there's no big push. No one's even, as far as I can tell, no one's even fucking asking them to think about, like, right. making, ma- like, enshrining the right to an abortion Notorious, in federal law.
1: <laughs> Notorious RBG is going to fly down from heaven mm-hmm. where she's <laughs> chilling with, like, I don't know Tupac or whatever the
0: fuck Buddha, Bob Marley <laughs> Stalin you know capitalists Martin Luther King and uh who else um the the ghost of Lin-Manuel Miranda even though he's alive <laughs> the, the other yeah
3: no but this it's is like this dark is Dark Dale
0: like,
1: from Twin Peaks like yes, yes like Dark
3: Lin <laughs> yes no, but this is like the thing that I is like we all in a way the 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 making of all of this into like this judicial fantasia is like infuriating. People, well it like it forces people to not actually observe uh in, in a full way what actually has been happening for the last 20 years on abortion and even like in the midst of this thing which is like yes guess what uh, Texas did like. Yet yeah, you may call it like they found a loophole around Roe, but like for all intents and purposes, Roe is dead. But because it's judicialized, it like kills off all of the politics because it gives people who are like defenders, the litigants, whatever, uh, the ability to say like, no, well, like, wait, we have to like, let's see, like, if this like goes through the, like the process and like, Oh, maybe, uh, these justices, like, you know, they're really like thinking based on these like legal principles and like th- you know, they're thinking about these like potential ramifications of SB eight for a bunch of other things. And like, they might not let it go through, but at the end of the day, Like, Texas has already accomplished what it wanted to accomplish right now. Right. Like, it has already effectively banned uh, abortions in the state. And by judicializing the conflict, it's also prevented people from, like, actually mobilizing in a clear way and, like, having a rallying point. Like, that's the thing that's really fucked up about judicialization of like anything is a strategy. It's just as like, no, like let's we'll just wait until the lawyers like sort it out and like, oh, maybe like gradually, slowly, like bit by bit, uh, like this right gets like chipped away at, or the you know, this ability to like get a, a an important healthcare service like gets chipped away at. But like, oh, well maybe like the lawyers are like fight it's this it's it's like the superheroization of politics and like the deferral of any idea that like so, uh, like a social movement or like, I don't know, mass politics might be necessary to come in at some point and defend something that it actually is popular with like a majority of the American public. It's to me, it's like, I don't know what the Democrat strategy is probably just to like do as little as possible and raise as much money as possible for the next midterms, which they're going to lose anyway. But like (laughs) the uh, but but in in reality, what this does is it just bleeds off any idea that like large numbers of people can have any effect on anything.
2: Yeah. And I think the thing, too, is that, you know, Abby, I think I really appreciate you bringing up Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which again is 1992, because I think the other thing that's really obvious here that I haven't seen a lot of people discussing is how the undue burden framework is used over and over again as this sort of counter-majoritarian check Mm -hmm. on civil rights. Like if you think about how the undue burden provisions of the Americans with Disabilities Act exists as this way to limit what um, you know private companies in particular are actually obligated to do to meet uh, you know what is apparently the law of the land with accessibility and it's interesting because right now there's also another case before the Supreme Court this term where CVS is trying to roll back what the meaning of undue burden actually is under the ADA where they want to say that like as long as you're not intentionally discriminating against someone if you mean well, You know that that in and of itself is kind of this uh, protection qualification that you shouldn't actually necessarily be held liable for not meeting the ADA, and so you have I think the all of these like uh, examples now, especially with with Casey too, about how this framework, which was so popular during the '90s, is this kind of like way of. doing like compromise, like, oh, we're going to give you rights and we're going to make sure that it doesn't like step on the toes of hegemonic society or hegemonic, you know, business control and power, like how that framework um, actually never really seems to work out in a equal or equitable way at the end of the day, right? It is like a framework that on face sounds like it's totally reasonable, but in practice, like, always hits like marginalized people and populations that are supposed to be protected and not, you know, the people that are supposed to be held in check by these like frameworks.
1: Yeah. Well, and even if it didn't disproportionately affect people, like, right. It's not a right. Like it is, I'm going to, I mean, I'll speak to like abortion here, but like it is, I think a fun, not just a civil right, but like a fundamental human right to be able to like make these decisions. right? Right. And like, We just don't care about that. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a function of like misogyny, right? Like about all sorts of like weird reproductive politics, like politics about the family. And like the Democrats have been okay with that for as long as I can fucking remember. Right. Because they're fine with
3: turning rights into matters of policy. Like if a right exists, it locks out anyone's ability to fuck with it. (laughs) But for Democrats, it's just policy, which means like, well, it exists, but, uh, you know, well, you know, we've got to be able to manage and superintend it in these different ways. And, (laughs) you know, ultimately we have to... You know, yes. we have different sets of principles that might govern that. And it just at some point, and also, by the way, it's something that where politics is eclipsed, you can't, right. you're not defending a politics, you gotta let the experts and the lawyers uh-huh. and the policy work analysts are going to work it out.
0: Healthcare is a human right. So long as you buy it through the ACA. Yeah. Right, healthcare exactly. is a
1: human right. Asterisk. <laughs> so here's right. the thing, like this Mississippi law, I think, okay, what's it called? It's called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this law explicitly, OK, it it sets forth a, a ban on all abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. They are explicitly with this law. They are asking the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And what they're asking for is for the Supreme Court to either just get rid of the constitutional right to abortion altogether or to like allow some states to like institute some you know, bans on abortion that directly conflict with Roe versus Wade, as long as they don't, quote, burden a substantial number of women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So like, again, it's like, is this a right or not? Right. Like if it's a right, it shouldn't matter how many how many people are, are, quote, unquote, burdened by it. I would argue that the people of Mississippi are already fairly burdened by the abortion (laughs) restrictions that are in place. Um, abortion, I think in Mississippi is already banned at 20 weeks of gestation. And I think that the, the, the provider that's named in this case that's coming up, I think is the only abortion provider like in the state. So right in the state,
4: right.
2: Right. And I I think also it would be good to get into some of the specifics of exactly what SB8 is, has been banning in Texas, because it's important to note that like normally when these laws go into effect, like the Mississippi case, the way that they're written means that there's a opportunity to challenge it in court before it goes into effect but sb8 is different and um has been into effect and been the law of the land in texas for two months now
0: and in fact the conversation that happened at the supreme court last week which i think was not really I i don't think that this point was really adequately made by a lot of like media accounts of this this was not like a hearing over whether specifically, like the law SB 8 was constitutional. It was right. actually more of a hearing over whether the Supreme Court could fucking touch it. At yeah, all. literally.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's two for the, cases for the
0: reasons that is about to get into. Yeah,
2: it's two cases. And because of the uh, enforcement mechanism, because of this bounty uh and the sort of deputizing of the general public to snitch on their neighbors who might be getting an abortion or helping someone get an abortion, because of that, the state of Texas claims that federal courts do not have jurisdiction over this uh on over this issue. Over and
0: individual that, people filing these claims, right? right. And that right. if
2: if we wanted to stop this. Right? That, that would have to happen at the case-by-case individual level So essentially, you know, what what's happened is that Texas, um, is asserting that regardless of what federal law says, um, that Texas can do its own thing within its own borders and that there isn't this kind of, um, same legal pathway to disrupt it. And ultimately this gets down to like what the law is actually supposed to do and what this kind of gotcha or loophole or, uh, trick or maneuver or strategy this law actually uses in enforcement, because ultimately the goal um, from the people who wrote this law, who tried it out in local municipalities in Texas before they went statewide, um, was to really shift the energies of people who are uh, pro-choice advocates and for organizations doing this work and to shift the arena of oversight to try and disrupt the classic procedure legally for how these laws are presented, passed, and then challenged in the way that Mississippi is going to be, you know, discussed in front of the Supreme Court next month. So what's going on with SB 8, I think it's really important to foreground is fundamentally different than all of the other ways that abortion laws have been passed and then challenged previously.
3: Right. I mean, and the whole thing that you can see what the the state is trying to do It's trying to say, well, like, even if you think this is insane, uh, Supreme Court, you're going to have a really difficult time writing a rule uh, because you actually don't. Because we've said that, like, anyone can sue and like the general public is the enforcer of the law. Now you're going to be like, well, exactly who should the defendant in these cases be? Should it be like the state or then? Well, under uh, this uh, precedent called ex parte young, there actually is no such thing as a state. Uh, the state is just like a legal <laughs> fiction and like essentially you have to sue like an officer of the state. But if no officer of the state is allowed to actually enforce the law, which is explicitly written into the law, they're like, well, you are not enforcing the law, even though ostensibly like the fact that you have clerks and judges who will be hearing the cases that individual people like bring that that, that counts as an enforcement regime. Uh, but like they're just like, OK, well, you know, you're not going to pierce this like legal fiction. Uh, but they're like, well, well, who would the who the plaintiff, who would the defendant be? Would it be the clerks? Well, the clerks actually have to file cases that they that as long as the, the paperwork is filled out correctly. So it can't be the clerks. It can it be the judges? Well, it can't be the judges until they've actually ruled on something. It can't be like the judges while they're hearing a case. Is it the attorney general? No, the attorney general is specifically barred from enforcing the law. So who's it going to be? And it's just this complete. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking like you can imagine the kinds of dorks that wrote this and were like right. twiddling their fingers and being and being like, you know, aha, we've like got them this time. Because in a way they have, because they built this legal culture for themselves in which just this sort of like uh, you know, intellectual masturbation is warrant <laughs> is like warranted and praised. And like that's exactly what you get out of this. But I think that it also the the broader thing here is like this is this approach to enforcing regulations has a really long history in the United States. I mean, it goes back at least to, you could say to the like liberals in the 1960s who are like, well, if we don't have enough support in our coalition to like build an actual enforcement apparatus for like the civil rights act, we'll just give people the ability to sue um, (laughs) in order to enforce it. And like one way of thinking about that is, You know, um, these sorts of like private rights of action are created by legislatures and Congress like all the time. But typically the way that it works is like the legislature says you can sue, but you can only recover, you know, like actual monetary damages. And you have to abide by like these normal rules of evidence and and, like the (laughs) burdens of proofs, meaning like you actually have to have a case. And so like. You know, you might have like, I don't know, like a 60% chance of winning if it costs you like $10,000 to like litigate the case. It means you're probably not going to like go to court because it's not worth it. Right. But in this case, what Texas has done is said, okay, number one, you can sue if you're just anybody. You can sue an abortion. If you feel the thing that came up in the in the court is like what the. Texas AG referred to as a tort of outrage. Oh, can like I if play that oh clip? God. Actually, yes. I, yes. Have, play I that. have
0: this,
5: yes.
6: Your Honor, the Texas Supreme Court has followed Article Three requirements in, in terms of injury in fact that doesn't need to appear on this face. So of this what statute. would that
5: injury be in this uh, under SB8 if it's an injury in fact?
6: One example could be akin to the injury suffered in the tort of outrage where an individual becomes aware of an uncomplied abortion and they suffer the sort of same extreme emotional harm oh that would God. ground an Article Three
5: injury for purposes of Texas law. Um, but I, I – I, forgive me, but I don't recall an outrage injury. Uh, what would that be? Well, they're outraged. You said extreme outrage. That would be the injury. Well,
6: the injury would be akin to the one suffered in a tort of outrage, where a person witnesses something that essentially they find to be so extreme and outrageous cause causes extreme moral <laughs> or uh, or otherwise psychological harm. That's Give how me it an works. example of that. An individual discovers that uh, that someone that uh, a close friend of theirs who they'd spoken with about uh, about pro life issues and about abortion has chosen instead to have a, a late term abortion in violation of SB eight, <laughs> and they were very invested in the basically in that child's upbringing the child's coming to being
3: individual discovers that the Arby's horsey sauce recipe has changed <laughs> <laughs> More exactly. outraged by this
0: and I think I think oh that characterization, uh, I know you're in the middle of uh, something, Phil, but I think that no. characterization that they say uh, too is very suspect because this, the you know, the example given here is about like, oh, if they know if they knew this person and like they had moral outrage over it because like they thought they were pro-life and actually they got an abortion. But it's like absolutely not limited to anything like that you don't have to be like you don't have to know the person or whatever to file also like one really unique characteristic uh to this maybe not totally unique but one almost farcically vile facet of this law is that under sba you can be sued in like jurisdictions all across the state of texas basically you can have like multiple overlapping suits over just the same abortion so literally you know one could imagine a a scenario where like I don't know uh there just ends up being like a fucking web forum of here's a here's like a like a picture of someone going into an abortion clinic and like their name like go ahead and sue or whatever and then just like exactly. a bunch of people do like mm-hmm. the same thing and they're not and regardless of whether the uh abortion provider or whoever is brought in the suit wins that suit that doesn't have any standing on any of the other ones that could be right. filed by like literally yeah, there's no it, preclusive it, effect. Exactly. And so it's just this, I think the um, uh, one of the people Mark Huron, uh arguing like, uh, you know, against SB eight, Referred to this as creating permanent defendants, basically, where right. just endlessly for the same for a single abortion, like they could face just litigation over because and over the, and over. Again. Yeah.
2: And the pe- the people bringing the suit don't have to live in Texas, don't have to be in Texas to bring the suit. You could be in Hawaii watching drone footage on, um, you know, Twitch of someone walking into an abortion clinic and decide to bring a suit Um in as long as the abortion is happening in the state of texas
0: and if they lose also they don't have to pay attorney's fees for the defendant right so that's the big thing that i was gonna say
3: there's there's no reason why you would not sue under this and there if you sued there's almost no reason why you would not win right that's the it's like it is guaranteeing enforcement so to like but this is what's crazy about it texas is saying well the like the Supreme Court can't intervene yet. We don't even know what's <laughs> going to happen in these suits. These people aren't enforcing. And, and it's just this ridiculous thing. It's like we know exactly what's going to happen in these suits. The, the 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 plaintiffs are going to win and they're going to recover damages. And we already know that all of these providers have essentially shuttered uh, their operations. And the number of abortions provided in Texas has like fallen in
0: half. So, well, yeah. I mean, 48 percent. And what yeah. we know yeah. is going
1: to happen is that abortion is just going to become clandestine. That's it. Right. Right. right? Like I doubt that there will ever be like I feel like the chilling effect of this law is so extreme. Right. Like no abortion provider can operate really like to serve the patient population that it needs to serve like under this law. So I think what's really going to happen is a lot of people are going to be unable to get abortions. Some of those people are going to die and some of those people are going to resort to clandestine like self-abortion, which is very dangerous. So, you know, the pro-life movement has like a really great track record of fucking killing women, which I mean, we can get into yeah. more of that later when we've sort of wrapped up, <laughs> I guess, like the judicial piece. But
2: I will I do want to say that, like, so in terms of like material on the ground impact, that example I gave of the uh, drone. Right. That's already happened. Right. The fact that people are now surveilling abortion providers um, using like video surveillance, using drone. They've set up sort of networks. But so there's been a call from like conservative commentators and people who are supportive of of this um, campaign and also the campaign for creating sanctuary cities for life across Texas, which is connected to this effort and has been sort of where all the energy is coming from, um, which are cities that like have organized and passed similar laws to protect the unborn within their city walls. So what's actually happening right now is that, you know, even though technically there is a very narrow window where abortions can be provided, Um, in the state of Texas, it is unclear exactly how you can protect yourself as a provider from being sued, because that is very up for debate. And so I wanted to talk about some of the specifics of what's actually allowed right now, because there are no exceptions for rape or incest. Um, There are very few exceptions for medical emergencies, and the window of time is six weeks from the first day of the person's last period, which basically gives you... If your period is regular, it gives you about 10 days from missing your period to coordinate to access an Mm -hmm. abortion.
1: That's a big assumption, too. (laughs) If your period is regular. I'm fucking serious. Like, No, yeah, yeah, I want to get into that. Um, Yeah, so there are, like... Ugh, these like gestational age bans. I mean, they're stu- I mean, all of the all of them are fucking stupid, right? Like the like, ooh, we're going to ban abortion, except if like in cases of rape or incest, it's like, oh, yes, like victims of sexual violence have a very easy time, like proving their case. Right. You know, People believe them definitely like right off the bat. So that should be really easy to take advantage of. Um, so there are like really no hard and fast ways to estimate like when conception took place. The most sort of common way is based on, as we've been kind of alluding to, uh, it's called like last menstrual period dating or like LMP dating and that essentially it dates the conception, right, the start of the pregnancy to the first day of the of your last menstrual period. Right. So the way that it that it goes is like you notice that your period is late. Right. Or that you've missed a period like you take a pregnancy test, whatever, however much time has elapsed between when you take the pregnancy test and it comes back positive and the first day of your last period is how many gestational weeks, right the embryo uh, is assumed to be. Now it's it's often preferable to like confirm the last menstrual period estimate with ultrasound based um, dating, which, is good. You know, it's a lot better in the first trimester. It starts to get kind of inaccurate the longer a pregnancy goes on. But like last menstrual period dating combined with like first trimester ultrasound is like generally what we do. And it's it's pretty fuzzy, (laughs) right? Like there's no biomarker of conception. A (laughs) lot of people don't know they're pregnant until they miss a period. A lot of people like, I'm sorry if this is TMI, but like... (laughs) Ever since, you know, like COVID, you know, like all this like stress and uncertainty and whatever, like my period is regularly like two weeks (laughs) early or late or like just doesn't come at all. Like, you know, this idea that you can precisely sort of estimate the gestational age of an embryo based on when your period occurred is like not really true for a lot of people, right? Like it's based on this assumption that everyone has like a standard 28 day cycle with like ovulation on day 14 and like... (laughs) you know, your period starting at the end of it. And that's just not true. But the upshot is, as B was saying, you know, if it takes you, you know, if, if, if your menstrual cycle is about a month long is about 28 days, right. You have one period. It takes about four weeks for you to like miss a period, probably four to six weeks. And I feel like often, you know, if you, if you go to a doctor and say like, Oh, my period's like a week late, Oftentimes the doctor will be like, yeah, that's like within the realm of normal. Like, you know, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, So what happens is if you are banning abortions that take place at a gestational age of six weeks or later, basically you're making abortion unavailable except for the very small subset of people who figure it out for whatever reason, you know, that they are pregnant prior to missing their period or, you know, like have a diary of their cycle and like know right away that something's wrong. And that can happen. You know, there can be like symptoms of pregnancy very early in pregnancy and things like that. But I think what a lot of people think that like the six weeks things means is that like, oh, you have six weeks from when you find out you're pregnant. (laughs) Like, you know, six weeks from then is your window to like arrange to have an abortion. But that's not true, right? Like this law is designed to make abortion impossible to get.
0: Yeah. And it, it's like, not about it, it militates like paranoid diligence on the part of every single person who could become pregnant if they want to even have the like possibility of yeah, seeking well, an abortion. And it, it
2: also defines no way to sort of prove or um, no qualifications that need to be met diagnostically. So, you know, it gave, Abby gave this explanation of like how most people usually determine the gestational age, right? But the law specifically is very vague there for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Because if the law does not define what the burden of proof is, then it becomes incredibly difficult to establish a sort of standard for being able to certify, okay, this person is getting a valid abortion in Texas, or this person is getting an illegal abortion in Texas. It makes it highly capricious and arbitrary as to what's a legal abortion and arguable that, you know, with the extensive amount of networking that that people who are anti-abortion activists already do and the surveillance and the militant way that they show up and dog these clinics and stalk people who are getting abortions or providing abortions like I could definitely see these, um, you know, these groups putting together dossiers on, you know, random people interacting with clinics who provide abortions and providing, you know, the sort of private eye like 1950 is like, here's pictures of him walking in on this day, uh, oh, buying yeah. tampons from CVS. So, you know they got this abortion this day, which proves that it was out of the window, right? Like, And there's really nothing stopping um, someone from arguing that in court. And whether they win or not, again, as we said, it doesn't really matter. It still is going to open that person up to being sued in literally every county in Texas.
1: Totally. And it's, I mean, it's already, like, I know people in Pennsylvania, where I'm from, you know, who work in sort of reproductive rights and like the level of surveillance by these like, I'm sorry, like these fucking Catholic psychos is just like It's, it's beyond right. Like they have whole blogs like cataloging all the comings and goings from various clinic like already. I mean, in in Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania doesn't have like Certainly doesn't have the least paternalistic uh, regulations around abortion, but it's like nowhere near the level of Texas. And already there, like the level of surveillance is I, you know, based on what I've observed already, like rather intense and intimidating.
3: But this is no, but but that that level of like surveillance is from above. This is like it's it's surveillance all. I mean, it's the equivalent of surveillance all around. Right. And it's essentially the idea of it is a very like 19th century kind of idea about how the state should work and how the law should work. The idea of like 19th century law and like the, the usage of the courts there was like, we had these social formations and just like social hierarchies that existed. The state wasn't intervening to disrupt them at all. The courts like took action primarily to, allow them to persist to enforce them. And that's essentially what is the, this is, this is what the plug here in in this particular experiment is, is like, essentially, can we have a 21st century state of essentially private, like made up entirely of completely unaccountable uh, private actors who can, because they have, very large litigation funds and because we've redesigned the incentives such that even though they have large like capacity to sue we're also going to like comp them for their attorneys fees <laughs> right. we're going to like use the power of the state to just make a, 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 a basically like a vigilante society right and <laughs> and you can imagine you can imagine this going beyond like by the way the a lot of the argument in the 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 oral argument was like this is unprecedented and some aspects of this are unprecedented the the extent of the fee shifting and the the venue issues and like the some of the evidence rules are unprecedented but the general idea of like rights of private action is like substituting for the state is like not unprecedented. Most of the legislation that's been introduced by Congress over the years has been introduced by Democrats, by the way, on this. And uh, in recent years, though, Republicans have realized like, oh, um, we can do uh, we can we can basically like hijack uh, some of these ideas. My favorite uh, example is uh, this essentially law that protects the rights of uh, Knife owners uh, which <laughs> gives people who feel that they've been discriminated against because they like possess a knife uh, a private right of action against anyone who you know took action against them because Are of the, you in, sure like, you're
0: not just describing a Mr. Show sketch or something. Yeah.
3: Like it's that. like time my knife owners rights have been like violated the concealed carry reciprocity act. Uh, oh, it's God. like uh, under certain conditions a person who is not prohibited from possessing a firearm under federal law. Uh, and who possesses a valid concealed carry permit in one state has a right to carry concealed uh, handgun in any other concealed carry state. If, uh, people have like violate this or people perceive that they've been violated. Uh, they have a private right of action, uh, against them. And again, like, the, you know, you can go back to things like the fugitive slave law as like an, ex- you know, uh, another example of this, or like the doctrine of coverture where like, uh, essentially a woman is like property of her husband. And if she leaves the marriage, she can be like, you know, uh, it's, it's legal for like a posse to like round up and yeah. like go, go like retrieve her. Um, This is the kind of like anytime something is like being debated in a public forum where there's like maybe like the scintilla of like some sort of electoral accountability that is like bad for a lot of these things. Once you put them in the courts, once you lock them away from and once like, I don't know. Just like try listening to the oral arguments for more than 30 minutes at some point they devolve into like legal mush like they don't (laughs) make sense to any sort of like lay person it's just a bunch of very complex like legal numbers once you've locked away the issue that way like who can really you know who can really hold these people account? Like who can really do anything well, yeah.
0: about it? Cool. Cause the conversation that it becomes with, if you listen through the oral arguments, the uh, really the conversation that they're having uh, on the Supreme court is like, do we in fact have to hand it to them? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you have to yes. in fact have to exactly. hand it to them for figuring out this exploit, because ultimately, like as you're saying, Phil, it, like you take all of these things that like that do exist. You're basically you are formalizing. You're like uh you're formalizing a process like deputizing this already existing, like fucking uh like violent grouping of like people who want to assert and police certain fucking social norms. Right. Mm-hmm. Certain like uh, certain, uh, types of like extremely, uh, like to be, to be extremely punitive, uh, towards like people doing like really regular shit, like getting a fucking abortion. And then, and the effect is very directly like, and like, I think I want to, I want, I want to like, um, highlight this degree to which the conversation not only becomes so abstract, but like the, the, the conversation is kept at this, like, speculate in this like speculative zone of like do we really know if this is actually a problem right so for example to to preface the i'm going to play a, a short clip but like to preface this clip i will say that um all the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of you know the the chilling effect of this has been is is very demonstrable the uh texas policy evaluation project found uh, looking at like abortions from July to September 2021 versus in the same period in 2020, July to September 2020, when SB8 went into effect September 2021, the amount of abortions uh, compared with September 2020 was 49.8% uh, lower than the previous year. So there has been there that is like an incredible demonstrable chilling effect. And yet and yet (laughs) listen to
2: you're about to hear a bunch of people throw up their hands and say who's to say though
0: listen to uh listen to this uh this very serious question from justice alito to (laughs) i I forget the first the first time to to um stone the person who is like arguing in behalf of judge Judge slab (laughs) if some uh abortions have
6: been chilled, is there any way to determine the degree to which that is the result of the potential for SBA suits from the degree to which it is attributable to the fear of liability uh, if Roe or
5: Casey is altered?
6: I don't think there's a way of being able to disaggregate those. Justice Alito and undoubtedly individuals engaging in protected conduct that believe the protection might be removed or reasonably believe that undoubtedly there's an extra kind of chill. They feel but that's not attributable to the state or to anyone else for that matter.
3: <laughs> it's just great. chill. It's just chill, man. It's just vibes. Yeah. <laughs> if any it's all vibes.
1: Um, I want to pick up on something that you said Artie. So you mentioned this statistic about like the number of abortions, like dropping precipitously. And, you know, we're talking like the, the, The SB8 conversation, as we've been talking about, is this extremely abstract conversation. But the effect on the ground is, like, I think, rather terrifying. And I want to pick up on this thing about, like, about this chilling effect because I have seen the argument made many times by, like, people that ostensibly identify as, you know, liberal (laughs) left-leaning whatever. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. thanks to solid gold fucking... For like her contributions <laughs> on this. But like, you know, I've seen the argument like, oh, well, like, yeah, like abortion, it should be legal, but you know, it would, you know, wouldn't it, can't, we can all agree that it would just be better if there were fewer of them, oh right? God. Like, the it's like, wine. it's a dangerous surgery. Like, there shouldn't be as many. And I just <laughs> want to, like, categorically and for the record on this podcast, state that that is bullshit. The number of abortions <laughs> is like not a population health indicator, right? Like whether it's we need high a lot more
0: abortions. I will say it. Like we, ne- there need we to need be a, a lot more yes, abortions happening. This very house, obviously,
1: this is going to be the second clause that I was going to add to this. Um, is that. The whole conversation around abortion needs to be just demoralized and like decoupled from any kind, like this philosophical bullshit. You know, like when does life begin? Like, who gives a shit? Like, is it a hard choice? Who fucking cares? There need to be a lot more abortions because when abortion is not available, people fucking die, right? Like, that is not abstract. That's not hypothetical. That's fucking true. Okay, so I mean, like, it's also like we're gonna, we're willing to entertain,
2: you know, the existential question of like, when does life begin? But not like, should we support people in their survival? Yeah, uh, not society, right? Right. Healthcare, right? No time for that
1: second question. (laughs) When abortion is made harder to get, people die, right? Like, there's already been, I saw a headline um, about a woman with uh, an ectopic pregnancy in Texas who was turned away. Yeah, Uh, from an abortion clinic and had to drive something like 15 hours to the nearest clinic. Now, an ectopic pregnancy is an emergency like it is a medical emergency. There is no chance of, you know, the embryo, the fetus like reaching viability and being born alive. The only question is like whether, you know, like an ectopic pregnancy needs immediate like medical attention, like immediate termination Right. or else for like people you who will don't know die. that
2: what that is that's where the uh, egg begins to develop like inside the fallopian tube
1: um, yeah so an ectopic pregnancy it can happen anywhere it's where like the fertilized egg implants somewhere wrong. other than where it's supposed to <laughs> so it can be the fallopian tube it can be on the cervix. i mean it's bad it is an emergency and it is life-threatening right so like turning away someone with an ectopic pregnancy because they're beyond like the six-week gestational age cutoff, like that's horrifying. And there are examples of this in other countries. And again, I mean, this is like, this is another, and I'm sorry, this is like my ax to grind today and forever, but this is another bullshit, you know, Liz Brunig, you know, DSA bro dipshit argument, right? That like, oh, well, you know, of course, like I wouldn't want to criminalize anyone for making the regrettable decision to get an abortion. (laughs) But, you know, if we just had a stronger social safety net, you know, people would feel more self-efficacy about becoming parents and we just wouldn't have to have abortion. And that is fucking bullshit. That has gotten people killed because, okay, I mean, there, there are examples of this, if you have a miscarriage, okay, there is a, a very high likelihood that you will need to get an abortion procedure, like a dilation and evacuation, a DE, or a dilation and curatage, I think is how you yeah. say that word, a DNC. Because mm-hmm. if you miscarry, And any amount of, like, fetal tissue is left behind in the uterus, right? Like a fingernail-sized sliver of placental tissue or something. That tissue can can essentially rot and cause a septic infection, right? So you need to go to the doctor and get an abortion procedure to, right, like, remove that tissue, yeah. And there was a case uh, in Ireland in 2012, a woman named uh, Savita Halapanavar. I, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Um, she had a miscarriage. But, you know, Ireland, Catholic country, they had some laws on the books very similar to some of ours. Right. Like as long as like fetal cardiac activity could be detected, you know, they were not willing to perform uh, an abortion on her and she died, you know, she had a septic miscarriage and she died because of, you know, this abortion law, which was later overturned, um, in like 2018, I think, um, by referendum. And then just this past week, there have been protests in Poland, a very similar situation. A woman named Isabella, uh, also in her early thirties, Very similar situation, right? Miscarriage. Doctors, because of abortion restrictions that are on the books, like would not perform an abortion procedure until, you know, they were sure that, you know, the fetus was like, quote unquote, dead. And she died, right? Like it it turned into a septic miscarriage and she died. So what I'm trying to get across is like, Whether or not you want to get an abortion, like regardless of how you fucking feel about it, which like I don't I don't even care. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks about getting an abortion, even, you know, like if you want, like if if your doctor doesn't know how or is afraid because of like the legal regime to perform an abortion procedure, you are fucked. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter like how moral you are. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Right? Like, if you want to have a baby, it doesn't matter what your personal positions on abortion are because abortion is just a healthcare procedure. And if you can't get it, you're fucked. Like <laughs> there's just no other way to put it. Yeah. No, no, no.
2: It's such a good point. And I wanna like circle back to that case that you mentioned in Texas because the specifics of, of what happened with that woman's pregnancy where she um she had an eptopic pregnancy and had to go to New Mexico to get an abortion because she was denied care in in Texas. It actually taught it speaks to the, the sort of second pre-qualifying exception. Um, you know, under the rule, which is like you can have an abortion if you're before this six week marker or it's a medical emergency. Right. But the so technically, right, you would think that this person would qualify, you know, hearing what Abby just said about what a eptopic pregnancy is, medically speaking, like you would think that that's kind of like a textbook emergency case, right? But this person um, was at a uh, abortion clinic who said, this is an emergency. We cannot perform this DNC here. You have to go to the emergency room to do it because it's an emergency. The person called the emergency room and they said, no, this is not an emergency because your life is not immediately in danger. We cannot perform it here. And so the person drove, I think, 13 hours to New Mexico to an emergency room to have the procedure done across state lines.
1: Yeah. Which, is first that of all, an undue is- <laughs> burden?
2: gee whiz, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Texas argues that it's not. And the Supreme Court is seriously entertaining that as if it's a respectable argument, which, you know, is a whole other thing. But so the, the, the situation is, is that the way that things have been left intentionally vague in this law and the way that things have been left intentionally highly specific in this law, right, is de- designed to create the perfect legal scenario to create this really dragged out fight in the courts, right? Because it's really unspecific in certain places and really specific in certain places. It bars defendants from making certain defenses. Like um, doctors can't say like, oh, well, this patient has a constitutional right to an abortion in the United States. So I am legally allowed to um, provide it.
0: Right. They're not allowed. They're literally not allowed, <laughs> not allowed to, to use, use the, the, the one thing. Like it is constitutionally provided Right. Perfected. Right. Like that, yeah, that, is that defense right. is yeah. barred
2: from being brought. I mean, people yep. will still try, but like it. it is in the text of that law of SBA specifically excluded as as a defense for one of these lawsuits. You know, so it's like intentionally um, supposed to like sort of impede the process of trying to defend yourself against one of these charges. It's intentionally confused Confusing, And the because the medical exception is left vague, right, something that you would think is as clear cut as an eptopic pregnancy, which can so clearly um, become a medical emergency in which, as Abby says, like every time requires medical intervention, right, to make sure that everything is out. That was denied under the narrow framework of what the medical exception could be, because what they think that Texas courts might defer to as what qualifies as a medical exception which has not like been litigated yet um, is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act definition of what a medical emergency is, which is like the law that says like an, an emergency room can't turn you away for not having insurance.
0: Well, but mm-hmm. and this, so this is exactly the the point, though, one of the obviously many strategies going on here. But one of like among them, one is you by doing this in this procedural way where it where the first question is not always oh, this constitutional uh, you know at, at all to do or whatever we can do some sort of pre uh,
3: enforcement review we, yeah. can,
0: we can do like pre enforcement review as in like you know stop the law before it goes into effect et etc one it makes it like actually is it you know can we even touch this because like the way that it's enforced is like contrary to the the sort of like normative mechanisms or whatever and so like and then apparently the Supreme Court so far just like fucking buys that and is like okay so I guess we Don't like rule on this yet. We just have to like spend a whole bunch of fucking time like, you know, talking about like, oh, you know, metaphysically, is it really our prerogative to do anything about this? But second, like that, the the strategy here is not only do you get to, again, effectively, you know, ban abortion in the state of Texas, contrary to a constitutionally protected right, again, you know, for whatever that is that has actually been constitutionally protected is like unfortunately like laughable to say it's a constitutional protection uh so far before but still like you get to you get to functionally invalidate that in texas for as long as it stays like you you get to put that in place and then make it an open question whether that will stay or not and then two is you get to basically have additional chilling effects by like maybe yeah maybe the er in that situation could have totally just done it um without being inviolate obviously they should have just done it but like uh, and and just flouted the law or whatever, but like you know, in this case they didn't, or they didn't because they weren't sure whether it would be protected or not. And just in having that be an open question, right? right you additionally have a you know quote unquote chilling effect on abortions or other procedures happening, like just because. Like, providers are like, I'm not sure. I well, don't know yet. Under you know, the, I don't know if this counts. Well, under the Emergency
2: like, Medical Treatment and Labor Act, actually, that woman's eptopic pregnancy does not count as an immediate threat to her life. If If it's a threat to your life in one to three days, that's not technically serious jeopardy requiring immediate medical attention. So you God. can be turned away from an ER for not having insurance if you have a life-threatening condition that will kill you in three days. But... You know, because this person caught the eptopic pregnancy before it had ruptured or they were septic, right? Mm-hmm. It was not technically under this, you know, EMTLA definition of like when um, you know, when you have to get medical care, whether you can pay or not, right? That sort of exception that everybody thinks about is so broad. That's actually incredibly narrow. And because this law leaves it open to interpretation, right? You know, you don't know if they're using this narrow, narrow definition of like what an emergency is and the hospital itself is then open to liability under SB 8, or if the individual judge would allow um, the defense that this is an emergency medical procedure. But even if one judge in one county said, This is an emergency medical procedure, the same facility could be sued in a different county in Texas yeah. again. And mm-hmm. that first de- decision would not preclude the second one. And so it would have to be right. relitigated. So a different, judge, a different judge in a different county could say, No, we're going to use the EMTLA definition. Right. Right. And then in that county, the hospital would be liable.
0: Which again is like this. All of this and is, over and over and over which again. Again, all of this is to say, like, <laughs> okay, so the Supreme Court talked about this last week. You know, puttered around over whether they could, you know, do anything about it, or should, could or should or or whatever, or whether if they did something about it, it would be uh, too much of a reach, basically. <laughs> and meanwhile, I don't know, have uh, have the democrats even like thought about like raising the corpse of joe biden to like make a speech about this or anything or say like i don't know uh maybe this is good evidence that like we should pass some something that like actually enshrines in fucking federal Ugh, law that like you I need know. to like guarantee which uh, is very doable have you're yeah, very doable yeah. to like guarantee a right to abortion or i don't know fucking uh say like okay well if you're going to do this i'm going to now this is the this is the situation in which we pack the court because functionally the thing that we were all worried about quote unquote was like Row being overturned and you know obviously it was barely standing in the first place but this just clearly knocked it the fuck out so like yeah, special what? shout
1: out to ruth
0: bader ginsburg
2: again crusty right. old
1: bitch <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know and so it also like it calls into question you know like a pregnancy that has some level of risk, right? Like all of these um, pregnancies that you would count as a high-risk pregnancy, someone who has a pre-existing condition, somebody who gets gestational diabetes, pulmonary hypertension, like certain heart conditions, you can have all sorts of complications in a pregnancy. And when those high-risk pregnancies come up, normally a patient has a decision to decide if they want to continue Mm -hmm. to be pregnant and take on that risk right and if so that person has a pretty decent chance of like receiving good care if they are wealthy in the united states if they come from a certain class position but to try and like survive a high-risk pregnancy without access to comprehensive like Care right um, is incredibly dangerous and often fatal to like everybody involved. So yeah. the 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 situation is that because this question of what a emer- medical emergency is is left
1: intentionally, you know, strategically vague. Right. Because strategy is so key to this entire thing because because the discretion of providers who like, let's be honest, don't have a great track record with like, you know, female troubles. Right. And have a huge (laughs) financial
2: incentive not to break the law. And I think one of the interesting existential questions that that has arisen as part of the oral arguments that happened last week was, you know, is it the job for the court to intervene when a law has been passed where the penalties you know, you cannot um, decide if the law is constitutional before it goes into effect. And the penalties for violating the law are so extreme that you would never in your right mind violate the law in order to test the constitutionality. Like, is that um, a moment that creates federal jurisdiction, which basically they just mean, is it their business or not? And that's like, that's a fascinating question, right? And it's also a question that you sort of feel like isn't necessarily something that should be entertained and litigated by such a fucking conservative reactionary revanchist, you know, anti-majoritarian institution like the Supreme
3: Court. The thing, but the thing that distinguishes though, I think the, the court and the state of Texas and, you know, the, I guess you could say the broader like conservative legal movement is they have an idea of what their version of the ideal society and the ideal state like looks like, uh, and it's basically, I would call it like the state of cranks and judges, like (laughs) rather than having like a legislature whose members you at least have the not like, at least we pretend like notionally you can like, uh, uh, you know, get out of office or like vote, vote out, uh, instead of having like professional administrators, like, uh, implementing laws, Um, Instead of having any of that, uh, we want judges to superintend all action and we want cranks to be the enforcers like, uh, you know, so just imagine like the worst people that, you know and like they're the state now and then imagine like the worst people that you know who have ivy league degrees and they're also the state now i mean and and that's and that's the thing that's
0: not too far from how things are no it's not i mean it's so
3: i don't yeah like not i not to engage in any sort of hyperbole but that's like exactly the the form the way that like state formation is like um working here and and by the way like in many other domains of law that's sort of I mean, you you could add in a couple other actors into the cast of characters, like employers. But, like, we already sort of have created or recreated the sort of law of master-servant relations uh, through, like, you know, forced arbitration and things like that. Um, and so it's this nouveau, like, 19th century, you know, kind of uh, government. And, you know, um, the problem, I, I think, for the... I don't know, for, for, for I don't know, liberals, the Democratic Party is like they only have their rather narrow reactions to those things as mm-hmm. they emerge, when they emerge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do not have a mm-hmm. politics. They do not have a vision that says this is actually what a a version of a newly legitimate government it like looks like where it derives its authority from, where like what are the sort of like the generic like legal principles uh, of it? They they point to generic things like rule of law, but obviously we are so far fucking down the rabbit hole on that. that <laughs> yeah. like you know it's just like that's you know and that and that can also just be easily appropriated by the right too. So I mean like I think this this comes back to like something we were talking about with like Frank Pasquale um in like the last patient episode. It's just like. In the absence of that vision of what exactly is to be accomplished <laughs> and, you know, in the absence of like a a kind of like a broader political movement to like like yes. re reestablish the primacy of mass politics over these issues as opposed to whatever fucking is happening in like the the chambers of the Supreme Court. um you know, the, which is like a kind of discussion and conversation, that, like makes sense to no one. Um, <laughs> then like this, regardless of whether or not they win now or in like six months or whatever, they've shown that they can effectively, um, take their opponents and drain the liberal legal coalition of all of its energy and re- and like resources and like force it into all these sort of contorted, like filing of briefs and, And, like, just force them onto the back foot, you know, perpetually. So, I mean you know, if that is, uh, and, and you know, it's kind of lucrative for some people to oh, be honest yeah. with you. It's, yeah. it's lucrative, lucrative to always Democrats. be in that position. Yes. That's why my point is, yeah. it's kind of a lucrative thing to always be in that position. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, many, a uh, many an Atlantic article that can be written. Um, there's, uh, many, a uh, you know, a, a hand ringy <laughs> sort of, uh, uh, you know, 150 page, uh, tome that, uh, live right can, can put out, you know, that just, like, caps yeah. fundraising email that can be exactly yeah, yeah, but, yeah. My, but you know it's like uh is if all you have is a strategy to ensconce yourself professionally and maybe electorally uh and not even to gain majority um you know i mean uh this is the the this is the this is the, the like uh assault on democracy that I'm worried about yeah uh, it's it's that it's it and it's co-produced and it's I- it is a two way fucking street
2: absolutely mm-hmm. and
0: I th- and I think um this gets towards um one kind of thing that I wanted to make sure that we got in here too which is I think a really important um exchange that happened during this that I think uh, Abby actually mentioned quite, uh, at the top of this which is fucking uh, Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> talking about uh basically like you know starting to ask the question about okay so like we have SB8 right and this is uh, as as I mentioned before it's like okay well I think we we do in fact have to give it to them, etc. I'm saying like this is what the the court's um, response seems to have been is like I guess we gotta we gotta you know uh, we we gotta hand it to you like you did in fact. Um, you solved my puzzle, like, you figured out how how to uh, tie my hands, like, now it's up All to us to All governance is
2: just a game.
0: Right, and so... <laughs> no, it um, is
3: sort of like, no, it is sort of like the, um, the 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 people in Hellraiser, like, Pinhead and the other Cenobites. they're like, oh no, you figured out the one loophole, I guess we'll go back to hell now.
0: Oops. <laughs> like <it's Yeah>. just- <laughs> no, exactly, but so the, but so, uh, and, you know, so of course then the line of questioning from, you know, Kavanaugh becomes like, okay, so... Uh, it, does this become a mechanism by which to challenge, you know, like, gun rights and, and things like that? Because there were, you know, there were briefs filed on behalf of, like, um, gun rights lobbies, for example, saying, like, you know, uh, protects, like, th- like, we have to... St- form solidarity with this about uh over like the abortion question because like this this exact mechanism that sba uses this like loophole to like you know make uh deputize through this bounty system individuals and and thus sort of like preclude parts of the court system etc it could be used for any number of rights and i think you know obviously while you know kavanaugh talked about that in in one way and there's like kind of conversation about that the other thing is like i think it is really that is really kind of Regardless of what you think about that, that is one of, I think, the really big takeaways here, too, because obviously, as we've been talking about, abortion rights are something that, like, have not been protected in this country and that Mm -hmm. have been consistently under attack and that this is a really extremely pernicious example of happening right now that, again, fucking nothing is being done about, basically. Um, Literally challenging the sovereignty
2: mm -hmm. of the entire federal government and and nobody's, like, doing
0: it. But... Again, importantly, this is potentially a significant roadmap towards really anything you want you want to go you want to like have a bounty to go like round up all the fucking trans people i mean imagine with those like those trans
2: uh bills in texas if the enforcement on the teachers you know because people can like report on the doctors giving people access to care it's basically like just throw a ten thousand dollar bounty on that
0: whether this gets shut down or not like i think it's just a matter of time before that gets tried right frankly Mm -hmm. so Anyway, this is a bit of a longer clip, two minutes to step but this is a really important exchange, I think, that gets into some of the, the kind of like heart of exactly this matter. And then I wonder if we could like talk about that after.
5: Can I ask you about the <clears throat> implications of your position for other constitutional rights, the uh, amicus brief, the firearms um, uh, policy coalition? says, quote, this will easily become the model for suppression of other constitutional rights with Second Amendment rights being the most likely targets, end quote. And it could be free speech rights. It could be free exercise of religion rights. It could be Second Amendment rights. If this position is accepted here, the theory of the amicus brief is that it can be easily replicated in other states that disfavor uh, other constitutional rights. Your response?
6: Your Honor, in several of those circumstances, individuals who are concerned that a lack of immediate pre-enforcement federal court access would cause them
5: ruinous liability or otherwise suppress their ability to exercise those rights have turned to Congress and succeeded Well, here. for some of those examples, I think it would be quite difficult to get legislation through Congress. Are you saying absent that, uh, that Second Amendment rights, free exercise of religion rights, free speech rights could be targeted uh, by other states in this using the ex parte young uh, language on 163, and and to really uh, infringe those and to put huge penalties to the Chief Justice's hypothetical, say, everyone who sells an AR-15 is liable for a million dollars to any citizen. Uh, Would that kind of law be exempt from uh, pre-enforcement review in federal court? My answer is on whether or not the, whether or not federal court reviews available does not turn on the nature of the right. Even with, and you've also said the amount of the penalty doesn't matter. Million dollars per sale. You know, anyone a state passes a law, anyone who declines to provide a good or service for use in a same-sex marriage, million dollars. Again, your honor, what would have to have, for example, in is that specifically a yes, or? yes, I'm
6: sorry, your honor, yes, that's a
5: yes that's exempt from pre-enforcement review
6: in the sense of that federal courts doctrines and Congress' statutes defining the jurisdiction of the federal courts would have to be um, would have to be modified by Congress. And, and
4: General Stone, your answer to Justice Kavanaugh, which is go ask Congress. I mean, isn't the point of a right that you don't have to ask Congress? Isn't the point of a right that it doesn't really matter? what Congress thinks or what the majority of the American people think as to that, right?
0: Anyway.
4: (laughs) Yep. I'm Uh,
1: smiling serenely. It's cool. (laughs) I mean, you
2: know, the, the question that they're really like debating, right. Is, kind of absurd on its face that this is being given, like, the kind of credence and time of day, right? Like, it is absurd Um, what what Texas is trying to do, which is basically say, you know, despite the fact that... um, laws like this should and always usually have this pre-enforcement review um the one that we've passed we found a way to get around that so we get to sidestep that now and there's Mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it and that's really the sort of question that's being treated like this real respectable challenge (laughs) and something that needs to be like mulled over i mean it's very uh parallel to like what abby was joking about with the sort of like opinions of like well you know in a perfect world people wouldn't have to have abortions and that kind of dithering (laughs) yeah
0: well but and then this is the this is the thing though because like clearly if you do like if they you know, if they go ahead with this or whatever, they find some loophole to say, like, well, you know, in general, generally speaking, like this isn't like, OK, or whatever. But in this specific case, like it's it's fine. Then, I mean, I think it's pretty clear from the response so far that, again, for all of the frankly, hot, like hot air, like insubstant, like unsubstantiated, like talk about like really wanting to protect Roe and everything, Democrats have, you know, pretty much shown as long as specifically Like, as long as specifically Roe is not, like, in letter overturned (laughs) or whatever, as long as the Supreme Court doesn't put down something that says explicitly, like, the memo has to apparently literally say we have decided Roe v. Wade is overturned or something. Yeah, it's a magic no, words. Like, ar- it's a magic words argument. It's right, a it has magic to words literally argument. say that for them to do fucking anything, <laughs> well, apparently. Well, and they
1: won't even, because here's the thing. Like, I right, feel like the yeah, Democrats they won't are just edging, right? Because what they're, <laughs> what they're interested in is not, like, protecting, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even think I think that like what you just said already is even kind of a charitable reading of what the Democrats political goals are. Right. Like, I don't think the Democrats right. political goals are narrowly just to preserve like the text of Roe versus Wade. <laughs> right. I think that their goals are to fundraise off of trying to do that forever. Yeah. And it sucks because like the Democrats are running away. I mean, they've been running away from abortion for as long as I can. I mean, the whole safe, legal and rare framework, that was like a Bill Clinton chimera, you know? Um, And if you contrast it to like somewhere like Argentina, which recently legalized uh, abortion behind like a massive popular movement, right? Like, The 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 tag phrase for the movement in Argentina was like, uh, sorry, I'm translating from Spanish to English in my head and I'm really caffeinated. So it's hard because I'm talking live, but it's um, (laughs) safe, freely available and free. (laughs) Like those Uh, are their demands, right? (laughs) Right?
2: Like, right. It's it's a damn shame that you can only get liberals to like really fight for reproductive
1: rights when it's like in the name of a eugenics program (laughs) or something. But here's here's (laughs) what I want to do, and I'm sorry, like we're probably getting towards the end, and this is like a little bit digressive, but this is another one of my axes to grind. I'm going to do it right now. Okay, like I am going to put forward like the Democrats, (laughs) like the Democrats, like angle on giving a shit about abortion (laughs) rights. So some of you may have heard that the U.S. is in the grips of, you know, what is sort of euphemistically being called like a maternal health crisis. Um, Yeah, we have the United States has really, really bad indicators of maternal health. And those indicators are like yawningly different by, for example, race and ethnicity. So the U S like the maternal mortality rate in the U S is like 17, uh, 18 per hundred thousand live births. That's like the most common way to measure it. And if you look at countries like even like the U.K., which isn't isn't necessarily even one of the countries with the lowest. Right. Their maternal mortality rate is like seven, eight per hundred thousand. And when you get down to the level of, um, you know, racial and ethnic disparities within the U.S., black women, um, indigenous women are like three to four times more likely to die, um, you know, in pregnancy, labor and delivery postpartum. And the Democrats, uh, like there is some sort of movement on this politically, right? Because again, like I think the Democrats, I think, you know, in some cases, some individual Democrats really do care about this for the right reasons. In other cases, I think the Democrats are trying to like capitalize off of this like fashionable Mm -hmm. moment of caring, of caring about sort of racial and ethnic disparities in health. Um, But I think that like we need to get away from the state of exception for abortion. Right. And we need to talk about the decades long assault on abortion rights as part of the maternal health crisis in the U.S. And I'm concerned about this because I think it has probably been happening, you know, over the past several decades. I think that if You know, for whatever reason, like if this Texas law uh, continues to be in effect um, or if, you know, after this Mississippi uh, case is heard, you know, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, you know, a bunch of states have trigger laws on the books. Right. That will ban abortion the instant that Roe versus Wade gets overturned. Right. But my my kind of fear about this and this is like where my vision for like a Democratic Party that actually fucking gave a shit like, comes into play, my fear is that, you know, as uh, access to abortion, right, as part of the complement of reproductive health care is just sort of steadily eroded, I am afraid that there will be proportional increases in maternal, you know, morbidities and mortality. But our data systems in the U.S. are not at all set up to count maternal deaths like we basically can't do it and in fact like the u.s didn't we went 10 years without reporting a national maternal mortality rate because the way that we do it is through the vital statistics system and like there was a checkbox added for like pregnancy status at death to like the standard death certificate but uptake of that death certificate was like staggered by state across place and time (laughs) like our data systems are dog shit and it is embarrassing and I, th- I mean, it's a testament to how little we fucking care about, you know, maternal health, you know, perinatal health, it, human rights <laughs> in general. And so I feel like my vision is like the Democrats. I don't think that they're going to, but I think that the Democrats ought to be, you know, plowing Tons of money into, you know, the quote-unquote maternal health crisis at like at multiple levels, including at the level of data collection, because there are like bad effects of abortion being as severely restricted as it is in the U.S. But if we can't see it, like that is a problem, and I yeah. really I would love for any Democrat to like re I mean, I would love for any even even self-identified leftist. I can't tell you how many fucking times. Right. Like I've gotten into it with, you know, anti-choicers like whatever and had you know, people ostensibly on the left say like, oh, yeah, but, you know, like we agree, like we agree with these anti-choicers on like 99 percent of issues. <laughs> like there's a whole there's a whole movement of like, you know, Christian anti-abortion entryists like, like they call natalist, themselves like right?
0: DSA people. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. yeah. And like they, there are even like religious people, they call themselves like consistent life ethic Activists, like they're fucking Catholics, and they're like, oh, like we hate the death penalty, but also we think that doctors who perform abortion should be beheaded. And you know, (laughs) I've been told, I can't tell you how many times, like, oh, like you, like you, you all agree on like 99% of issues. Like, can't you find a way to work together? And it's like, you don't really, but but you don't agree on 99% of issues. Like, my autonomy, my human right to like healthcare, to make choices about my own body is not a fucking 1% issue, right? And I would love for anyone that identifies as, you know, someone left of center in any, not someone, you know, but like, perhaps like a movement or something like I would love in any
0: way, shape or form. Yeah,
1: I would love for like us as the left, I would love for us to actually like fight on this issue, because like, it is life or death. And there are ways to do it. That don't, fall into the same fucking traps of like, oh, well, you know, like does life begin at conception? I mean it do- like it doesn't matter, right? And like again, you know the the soft version of the Liz Brunig like DSA bro stance is like, oh well, it's really regrettable, but we should approach women that choose abortion with like compassion And it's like, no, I'm sorry, that's still paternalistic. like you are yeah. either pro-abortion or you are out of the left.
0: There's like, nothing fucking regrettable well, about it. That's like just think, stupid. No, it's yeah. actually
1: fine. It's not a big deal.
2: And it's it's frustrating because it's like the fundamental problem here is ultimately health capitalism. It is the commodification of care and mm-hmm. of the maintenance of human bodies and of like the process of physical reproduction. Because ultimately what's going on in the Supreme Court right now, what was argued in those oral arguments is do like legal precedents that we have established to negotiate business affairs essentially right these laws and these legal decisions that um have decided you know liability in terms of like who is financially responsible from a business perspective do these laws apply to decisions about health care and under health capitalism absolutely because the maintenance of the body is a business right and so fundamentally at the end of the day you know, structurally there is like rot within the entire legal system that administers health finance in the United States. Well, and that will produce laws like this. And
0: because, and also for those, for instance, um, the, you know, uh, to, to use the, the proper technical term, those uh, morons who uh, <laughs> think that, uh, who think that it's somehow regrettable uh, or, or whatever for people to get an abortion no matter what you think your political uh formulation is you're fundamentally just like reacting to that as though it's like you you fundamentally like just are already bought like the entirely capitalist framework that a healthcare procedure is a scarce commodity is like right. something something like rare and delicate and valuable or whatever that has to be like rationed in some way or something or not done because it's like because of some perverse moral calculation that is entirely made up based on, again, as, as B is saying, like market value of the healthcare procedure, labor value of like the, you know, the person getting the abortion. Right. Like, the,
2: the Supreme Court is trying to decide if Texas is allowed to uh, sanction a private army to engage in war against providers and people trying to access care or not. Like, that's the fundamental question that they're deciding right now, and they're treating it as if they are deciding whether to allow a technicality or some sort of novel argument that someone made at a high school debate match. And, and that's fundamentally the way that we approach, you yeah. know, society. Well, they yeah, no, they've,
3: they've fully post materialized the right. They, yeah, they've they've dematerialized the I mean, this gets back to the thing about um, maternal mortality is like yet you can read. There are proposals. There are like, uh, you know, proposed legislation of like, oh, we need to deal with maternal mortality. But if you read what they are, they're these tiny little symbolic drops in the bucket like they don't do anything at all. Like if you think about like why our maternal mortality rate is so much higher compared to any like other comparison country, like the things that they're proposing are, are insane. They're, they're very small. So I think Abby's like proposal makes uh, a lot of sense, but as long as this, this remains this sort of dematerialized, we have to answer the question like, well, you know, uh, it's uh you know, when, when does life begin? Then, then we we're locked in that. We're locked in that sort of very legalistic debate.
1: Yeah. I right. don't believe in the Pope, so I don't have to give a shit about what the Pope says. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> why the fuck? Like, I don't know. To me, it comes down to and I'm sorry for like how, you know, maybe in keeping I'm going to use this term perhaps in keeping with the theme of the episode. I don't I don't really care how histrionic this sounds, but like it comes down to like, do I have rights or not? Right. Like, do I have a self that has rights or do I not? Like, do I have a right to access healthcare? Do I have a right to like engage in like again, constitutionally protected conduct, like, or not. And I feel like the, the, we're so far down this road of like, oh, well, no, <laughs> like, you don't like as far as, as far as this is concerned, like you don't have those. You I have a, you have the right to an affordable self. Um,
2: no no you, can you have the so right to it so. <laughs> so
3: long as it doesn't interfere with other policy goals that somebody might choose to supersede it that's the yeah. point that's the entire like yep. space of politics and like so there's no new even understanding that like oh actually it might require politics to uh articulate what the fundamental like version of that is it's like it's always something that's up for grabs even like the casey like framework it's like well we're gonna try to like you know like really narrowly tailor and decide this issue like that's the entire space uh, of politics now and it's so inimical to like anything that 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 anyone might like determine as like a a like a good society like it's 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 horrible.
2: Right. And I think ultimately that's you know the bottom line and maybe a good place to leave it for today. Abby, I really appreciate you coming back on to hang and um bitch about this with us, you know, <laughs> yeah, not just thanks. because like uh your covid expertise or your perspective on covid has been helpful but like we actually got to talk about what you legitimately study and focus on, which is fun. Oh so. man.
1: Yeah, there's going to be some day when I'm going to regale your listeners with like the whole story about like maternal death statistics (laughs) and it's going to be boring, but we are going to do it. So
2: (laughs) down, down. Um, and patrons, thank you so much as always for supporting the show. We couldn't do this without you. Don't forget to use code (laughs) for a discount in the merch store. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, you can always share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes or follow us at death panel underscore. And we will catch you later in the week in the main feed. As always, Medicare for all now, solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
3: Have to get the Alito hypotheticals where he's like, "Well, imagine that a clown named Mister Clown
0: uh, was the <laughs> one giving the provider. abortions, <laughs> right?"
2: Yeah. Oh God. Um, you wouldn't
0: download an abortion. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I would
1: download an abortion.
0: <laughs> oh hell yeah! I would download the shit out of an abortion. Suppose
3: that NYU. I, I, I assume a hypothetical where NYU's campus looked better. <laughs> That was literally that was I, I think that was a uh, in the gun control case that came up. That was like yeah. a, th- there was a literally a debate. It's like, <sighs> did you listen to that? Does one? NYU have a campus?
2: Also, like, shouldn't uh, a person working in Manhattan who has to go home at three a.m. be able to carry a gun on the subway because it's so oh scary? <laughs> like literally, Alito is like, um,
3: what if was st- What if there is a student <clears throat> at Tisch and the gun is a prop,
0: but the gun is also loaded? <laughs> What if you're an actor but you're also the producer of the movie? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so like the 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 legal precedent for a tort of outrage by the way is like one of the funniest things in the whole fucking world because like both of the legal precedents being used here come from like railroad prices monopolies and liability I love, cases.
1: I love I love to like as you know with my last like dying breath of like a septic miscarriage. I love to be like, oh, well, thank God this like obscure statute based on like corn futures trading from like 1812. It's <laughs> like it comes from um, it
2: comes from Bell v. Grant Northern Railway Company of Ireland in, in 1890. It doesn't I'm come sure. from U.S. law. <laughs> uh, goes, let me read this law to you. We all know and love. <laughs> The the plaintiff was a passenger in a railway carriage which ran backwards downhill in terrifying circumstances <laughs> medical <laughs> Medical witnesses testified that she was suffering from fright and nervous shock, one of them describing it as, quote, profound impression on the nervous system oh and God. stating that the shock from which she suffered would be a natural consequence of the fright. Another said he was unable to detect any physical damage and put down her symptoms to nervous shock. So she succeeded in suing um, the management of the railroad in which that ran the carriage in which she was seated for emotional injury and damage. And this is like, okay, so like a tort of outrage is used when you have someone like in the workplace who is a bully and like terrorizing a fellow employee and HR does nothing. Yeah, like a
1: QAnon coworker. <laughs> yeah. Or like,
2: you know, for cases of PTSD. Yeah. Like there, it's it's like a not it's like the precedent of it is for like psychic outrage, but it still rests on the need for injury. And like the need for injury in this case is to hear of someone that might have an abortion. Cause it's not even, it's not even that's had it's that might, because it uses the, the, um, the intent to murder language. Right. So the (laughs) intent to have an abortion is the precondition to like, qualify you for psychic injury under this law it's like fucking insane and it comes from train law and ex parte young is also train law